The following shiur has been delivered by Diane Yosef Greenwald, Diane at the Betavad. For more information or shiurim, please visit vshc.org or call 1-844-200-TSHC. That's 1-844-200-8742. In this week's Parasha, Parashat Pinchas, one of the important topics that are discussed in the context of B'nai Yisrael. Um, there's the generation that would pass away in the Midbar, and they're going to give over their inheritance in Eretzol. Unfortunately, they were not Zohet to go in uh, because of the Gzeirah of the Chet Meraglim. So they were going to give over their schut in Eretz Yisrael, Eretz HaKtoshah, to their children. And uh, that brought up a question, a practical question over there of the Benot Tzalafchad, where Tzalafchad uh, passed away and he only had daughters. The daughters didn't want that his inheritance should go to other members of the family. And uh, Moshe Rabbeinu asked Hashem what to do and Hashem said, uh, this is the parasha where Seder Nachalot is put down the Torah for the first time. And if a person does not have sons, then his inheritance goes to his daughter. The basic rule of thumb is that uh, inheritance in the Din Torah is a passed on to one's male children. If one does not have male children, one has grandchildren through the sons. So then it goes to them. That means that a person retains his, a, a person who is predeceased retains his status as a as a yoresh to the person who passes away. So if somebody dies and his son's alive, of course his nachalah goes to his son. The firstborn son gets pishnaim, double portion, as is written in Parashat Kitetze. And uh, if a person doesn't have sons, it goes to his daughter. If a person has sons that left over children, then they bakever, as the Gemara says in uh, Baba Basra, give over their inheritance to their grandchildren. Now, what happens if a person unfortunately never had children? So then his inheritance goes to his father. The idea is if it goes to his father, then if his, but if his father's not alive, let's say he's an 80 year old man, never had children, his father probably is not alive. His father would be 110 if he'd be alive, but he does have brothers. So it goes from his father to his brothers. If he has no siblings alive, so then it's a nephew. Not that the nephew is his inheritor, but it goes back ever, and it can work that way because if a person doesn't have siblings, and his father's not alive, goes to his grandfather. So if his grandfather could go to his first cousin. It can go to a fourth cousin twice removed, Charlie in California for the same price, if that's the closest uh of kin from the male side. So Mishpacha as defined in Hil in the Halachot of Nakalot is uh from the male side. Mishpacha means Mishpacha Mishpacha Ta'av Mishpacha Mishpacha Ta'im Lo Mishpacha. Um that that's the long and short of Parashat Nachalot. I want to read the Sukim. There's a very interesting halakha. He does not have a son. You should pass on his inheritance to his daughter. He has no children. The assumption is that it goes to his father because the next possible. To his uncle. 
That means, really, it's his father. The Torah doesn't speak it out because it's self-obvious. Father comes before brother. The father certainly comes before his uncle. So that means it's going from place to place back heaven. could go even further afield. If you go to a cousin, a second cousin, third cousin, where is the closest? From his father's family. And he will inherit her. What does that mean? He will inherit it. The Gemara learns out that this is telling us an extra din. A husband actually inherits his wife. Now, a husband's wife are not blood relatives. But, and a woman who passes away and leaves over wealth that goes to, again to her son, to her father, to her brother, and so on and so forth. But if that woman has a husband who's alive, a husband has to be alive. A, 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 a woman's husband doesn't inherit from her if he's not alive. But if a woman's husband is alive, he yashins he from her, he inherits from her. Now there is a question, a, a very big subject of discussion in the Gemarot, whether this is Doraita, this is only Asmachur Rabbanan, this is really only a Dinder Rabbanan. That's, we'll, for purposes of our discussion, go with the Tzad that Yerushat Habal is Doraita. A woman does not inherit her husband, a husband inherits his wife. Now the wording of the Pasuk is peculiar in the sense that the Torah speaks out at every stage of what we just read, Vahavartem, you shall pass on his inheritance. You shall, who's you? You shall give. What does it mean you shall give? Who are we talking to? How does Yerusha work? Yerusha is an automatic process, right? When a person passes away, when a person passes away, so his assets automatically are transferred to his next of kin, his son, and so on. You have to give it? Who are we talking to over here? Now, what would be the halakhic status of a uh, person who unfortunately passes away? Um, he has a nephew that's interested in taking his money. Or, let's uh, let's be blunt, he has a daughter who disagrees with the Torah's perception of males, the sons inheriting. She says, and she goes to their father's bank account. She takes out $100,000. She has a card. She takes out $100,000. Her father's bank account before anybody notices. Well, what's the halakhic status of that? That's theft. It's no different than going into somebody's bank account and emptying it out. It doesn't belong to her. It belongs to her brothers. It is an automatic transfer of assets. You don't need a ceremony or a some type of process. It automatically, when a person passes away, that second instantaneously... Um, his ass is gold. To the point where, if you have a woman who, the, the, the Gemara discusses a case, a tragic case, where a woman, uh, died in childbirth. And the Gemara, the Gemara even puts forward, uh, a tzad that if her child died, but lived a few, she has a child, the child lived a few hours after her. Theoretically, the child yarshined automatically this, infant, this uh, two-hour-old infant that's fighting for oxygen. He was born prematurely, the mother was injured, the mother passed away. Two hours later, unfortunately, terrible tragedy, the child passed away as well. But in those two hours, he yarshin, he inherited from his mother, he then passes over the assets that he has 
not to relatives of his mother. He passed it over to relatives from his father's side. It could go to him, let's say his father's not alive. Let's say, you know, you're talking about a, a terrorist, a terrorist attack, whatever it is, a terrible story. The, his inheritance could go to his first or second cousin from his father's side. Everything that he got from his mother it has nothing to do with that he took control of the assets. So why is it Torah used the terminology in the Tatem? So the Sefer Chinuch brings from the Rabbah that we're talking over here to Beddin. The, the, besides for being Gezel and, and just being an automatic transfer of ownership, the Seder of Nachalot is a mitzvah. The way the Rabbah says is mitzvah ladun Seder Nachalot. The, the mitzvah is for Bezdin to emphatically uphold and enforce the Seder Nachalot the way it's written in the Torah. There are those that disagree with it. The Torah gives the Bedin the responsibility to hold it up. Now, the very next passage that we just read, Yorash Otah, it says, you shall inherit from her. You'll take her assets. It doesn't say anything about Bedin upholding that standard. It seemed to indicate that there's something different about a husband being Yoresh, his wife, than the cancer, the regular Seder Nachalot. The Seder Nachalot is incumbent on Bezdin. It's a Seder Nachalot. It's a, it's a foundation. It's a pillar of Jewish life. To the extent where it's a Taluya Bezdin, where the, the Gemara says something very interesting. And this is in Bavabatra Dafkuf Yud Gimel. Um, somebody felt like he was not well. He wanted to write up a will. He calls in a few people to sit, draw up a will, distribute his assets. Um, the halacha is that this should not be done, l'chadchila at least, it should not be done at night, because when we, we l'chadchila don't convene, it could be different in today's times, but in the times of the Gemara, Shulchan Aruch, we don't convene a Yeshivat Bezna hearing in Bedin to deal with the case by night. That's something that should be done by day. Sitting down and writing up a person's last will and testament is an act of judicial. It's not just a person's doing business. You're, you're allowed to buy and sell at night. You're allowed to trade stocks at night. There's nothing wrong with buying and selling. Setting up one's, the distribution of one's assets after he passes away is an act of, uh, is an act of bedin. It's an act, it's a judicial, not judicial, what's the word? It's a, it's a, it's a, you're doing something which is, which has to do with, it's some type of judicial process. It should be done by day. That's an example of this idea. Um, a husband giving to his wife, or rather a husband yashning from his wife, is not, uh, is not a, is not part of the Seder Nachalot. Rather, what it is, is it, it's part and parcel of all the, the whole financial relationship between a couple. When a couple gets married, there are financial obligations that are coming on each side. A husband has to support his wife. He has to take care of her. He has to give her a ketubah if he divorces her or if he passes away. He has to take care of her even after he deceases, predeceases her. He has to support her. He has to pay for doctor bills. He has to in case of war. He has to redeem her and so on and so forth. She, on the other hand, has obligations also. Physical obligations. She has to take care of the home and so on and so forth. That's the financial part of the marriage and the obligations therein are part and parcel of marriage. The same way the emotional and the spiritual commitment is there, the financial and physical commitment has to be there as well. Part of that is, is that a husband gets his wife's assets. The same way the Gemara says that if a woman comes to a marriage with assets, the husband can use those assets to invest and so on. Doesn't mean that they become his, but if she does pass away, 
part and parcel of that, not because they're related and it's part of Seder Nachalot, it's, it's not part of the passion, it's not incumbent on Bezdin, but it is part of the marriage. Part of the marriage is that a husband yashins his wife. I would venture to say that this has a very important, extremely important ramification. This is that Let's be honest, very many people don't want to go with the Seder Nachalot. They have four, they have two sons and they have five daughters. They want their daughters, and rightfully so, they want their daughters to be provided for after they pass away. You have daughters that dedicated their lives to take care of their parents, very often, most often, more than the sons. So there's, there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with parents taking care of their children any way they see fit. However, Seder Nachalot is when there's no halachically uh, valid, uh, kinyonim that were done, uh, during the lifetime. That means if, if a person sits down, and everybody's encouraged to do so, sit down and write up a will. Not a will, uh, just a legal will, that's important also. But to write up a will which is consistent with halakha, the basic idea is, is that after a person dies, his assets belong automatically to his sons. But, a person can give away before he dies, right before he dies. There's a way to write up, a person could write up a will in advance, and there are various halachic stratagems how to do that, that right before a person's death, his wealth, his assets, are distributed any way he sees fit. His personal effects, his money, his house, and cars, and so on and so forth. And there's nothing wrong with that. That being said, um, the Gemara encourages a person to leave over at least a little bit of his assets, and those assets will be distributed as per the Torah's Seder Nachalot. His firstborn son will get twice, will get two portions, and it will be divided only from the sons. Leave over whatever it is, $2,000. A person leaves over, I don't know, a quarter of a million dollars. Leave over $2,000, $1,000 even. That that should be distributed for Seder Nachalot. Why? Why is that? Well, I mean, it's a joke. You're giving out most of the money to everybody else. The reason for that is, is because there's a hierarchy. There's a Seder Nachalot. Like we said, it's not just financial. The money now belongs to your sons. There's a a family structure and a family hierarchy, and part of that is the automatic passing of generation to generation and bequeathing of assets from generation to generation. And that has a certain Seder that uh, the way the Torah puts it down. Bezdin has a the, a solemn duty to uphold that Seder Nachalot. So each person is encouraged in his own personal distribution of his assets to also follow that in a, you know, at least in a token way to keep that surah of the Seder Mishpacha intact. We don't find that if a woman wants to do the same thing with a husband, this is very, very relevant when you have uh, a, a man and a woman, he uh, he's a he's a widower, she's a widow. They got married in their sixties. They have established families, happy families. You know, people uh, their spouses unfortunately passed away, leaves a void. They want to get remarried. Getting remarried doesn't mean that you're uh, you're leaving over your familial obligation, your real world, so to speak. When a person uh, built a family, has children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, is the posterity and the continuity of the Dorot that they leave over. The fact that later on in their life, in their 60s and 70s, they found companionship with somebody, uh, you know, for, for, for 20, 30, 40 years, doesn't take away... Very, very often the Minhag is for a couple 
to be buried with their first spouse because the children are going to want to visit the Kvarim and they want to, going to want to go to both their children together. So for posterity, the marriage, the home, the family, the life, and the generations that you build is with a, is with the woman that a person marries and and uh, brings a uh, brings a family, raises that family, and uh, and that's that's who you want to leave over your assets to. So you have a woman who has a certain amount of assets, a, a, a woman who's quite comfortable, received quite a bit of assets from her husband, who passed away. She goes into a second marriage. She's not going to leave over that money for her husband, rightfully so. There's no reason for that. She, she wants the assets from her first husband's business to go to her children. So over there also, she's encouraged to make halachic uh, distribution of wealth that before she passes away, her assets should go to her children. We don't find over there that she's encouraged to leave over some minuscule amount, a token amount that should go to her husband. Why? Because that's not part of the family hierarchy. That's not based on a familial uh, structure and hierarchy. That's based on... A husband has a right to his wife's assets if she predeceases. So if not, it's not. If there's nothing there, there's nothing there. Another point could be made uh, this is based on a Ramban in Gitten Daf Yud Gimel, where there is a halacha uh, called Mitzvah Lekayem Divrehamet, which means that even though Seden Achalot is that all a person's assets pass over to his sons, like we said, but if a person left over verbal instructions, or a will, written, there is a obligation, there's a moral duty for the children to listen to Allah person leaves over a will and says he wants this personal item, this piece of silver to go to this daughter, this granddaughter, whatever it is, there is a responsibility for the children to listen to what's written in the will. You, it could be that you can't force them, but didn't can't force them, but it certainly is part of their obligation to their father to listen. That being said, it would seem, um, it would seem definitely viable and there are you know, there's a discussion about it, that a woman doesn't have that obligation to her, a husband doesn't have that obligation to his wife. His wife is uh, about to pass away, and she leaves over verbal instructions what to do with her assets. She had independent assets. Like we said, a second marriage, she has independent assets. She tells her husband what to do. She doesn't have that responsibility. The Ramban explains that this mitzvah, the kind of mess, is not just a way of honoring the dead. It's a part and parcel of being somebody's descendant or getting a bequest from somebody, is that you have a responsibility as a Yoresh to them, to their wishes. A husband is not Yoresh his wife. A husband has financial schus, and the marriage carries with it certain financial obligations and realities. He's not Yoresh his wife. He's not a descendant. He's not following his wife's footsteps. He's not taking over his wife. There's a financial reality. The same way he has to support her if he passes away. That's called Ktuba. Her assets go to him because that's part of the, that's part of the, uh, familial, um, reality of marriage. It's a, it's a totally different reality than the Seder Akalok. And that's why the Torah words it differently. To the point that we'll mention one something else. There's a discussion. This discussion is based on a Rajbam in the discussion of the Rajbam is a husband and wife that are estranged from each other. Unfortunately, you have marriages that fall apart, and very often it gets not given. We, you know, we all know such stories. Sometimes they end in a decent way, sometimes not. 
pressure, public campaigns, and so on and so forth. Um, but sometimes it's many years, and uh, there have been a number of stories where couples were estranged, no get was given, and then uh, the wife just pa- the wife passes away before getting get legally. They're still married. She, she they never got divorced, but they haven't been living together for many years. The halacha is that a husband and a wife do not have financial obligations to each other if they're not living together. The same way they don't have a physical relationship if they're estranged. He also doesn't have to support her. She also does not have to give her his assets. She certainly doesn't have to cook for him. She doesn't have to keep house for him. He doesn't support her or anything like that. Financially, they're not living together. That's part of the, that's not part of the isur of marriage, of them not marrying others. That's part of the financial reality of a couple that Chazal imposed on a couple living together. They're not living together. So in that vein, the, the Rajbam points out that um, somebody who's big tata, who's in a fight, estranged from his wife, does not inherit from her. The Rishash of the Gemara points out that if that's the case, it would make sense that a couple that's estranged from each other, if one of them passes away, they don't sit shiva for each other. They're not mourning for each other. I mean, he, the Yavisha Shlomo says uh, also, you know, on a simple level, says they're not mourning for each other, they hate each other. The, the wife usually in such a case is relieved, unfortunately, is relieved that the husband passed away. Well, if she has children from him, her children became uh, became orphans. But <sighs> sitting shiva doesn't make very much sense. Um, the poskim don't seem to put these two together. And it's possible that the sitting of shiva has to do with a marital bond, and they are still married. Um, whereas a husband yashing his wife is not because they're related to each other. It's just part of the financial obligations of a marriage, like we just said. So, it doesn't make sense. If she's not, if her income is not going to his bank account, and he's not supporting her, um, she's not cooking for him, and he's not caring for her. So what is Yerusha between the two of them? There, there are no financial realities between the two of them. That's why the Rajbam says what he says. That's another example. We'll point out one last thing is a, a fascinating discussion which is had in uh, Shulchan Aruch, interestingly enough, in Orachayim. Siman Tafkuf Tzadik Aleph. The Shulchan Aruch tells us that the wording of the, uh, the... This is the bracha, the middle bracha of the long mus, Musaf on Rosh Hashanah. The bracha of Zichronot. We say that Schut Akedat Yitzchak Lizaro Hayom Berachamim Tiskor. You shall remember the schut of Yitzchak, of the Akedah of Yitzchak, for his seed, for his children. And uh, some of the other posts can point out that that's not, uh, we, we wouldn't want to say that because if you're going to say Zaro Shal Yitzchak, you're including Esau, you want the schut of Akedat Yitzchak to stand for the descendants of uh, Esau who, uh, who who've been persecuting Klai Yisrael for 2,000 years, doesn't make very much sense. So they want to change the Nusach HaTfilah to Schut Akedat Yitzchak Lezaro Shal Yaakov Hayom Berachamim Tizkor. But uh, the Rivosh, the Shulchan Aruch Paskin, is not that way. And the way they explain it is, is that Esav was, is, is excluded from being considered a Yoresh of Yitzchak. He's not Zaro, he's not a Yoresh. And they asked, the Magan of Rome says, well, how can you say he's not a Yoresh? The Pasuk says that he was given Har Seir as an inheritance. And the 
the wording of the Shvut Yaakov when he discussed this question is very interesting. He says that Esav is not a Yorish. He's not a descendant of Yitzchok. He's not a, he's not a, um, He's not stepping into Yitzchak of Inu's shoes. This that he has Har Seir, he says is no different than Yerushat Abal. It's a financial arrangement that because he took care of his parents, so he had to get something. That's like paying uh, to the carekeeper who took good care and you give him a uh, you give him a subsidy after the person who he devotedly took care of dies. It doesn't make him into a child. Esav is not a child. He's not a, he's not a Yoresh. It's like Yerushat Abal, it's a financial arrangement. So you see very much that the understanding of the Shvut Yaakov is that the relationship between a husband and wife is not that they, that, not that the husband is Yoresh's wife. The Yoresh means that there's a financial schut that he has. Not more than that. This is something interesting to ponder as we read the Psukim. It's very much fits with the exact wording of the Psukim the way we read them. This audio series has been brought to you by the Sephardic Halakha Center. The center is committed to advancing research and application of halakha in the Sephardic community nationwide. For a halakhic consultation, monetary bedin services, to order this series or to sign up to receive the Sephardic Halakha Journal, or for all other information, please call one 200 T-S-H-C or email info at the shc.org to subscribe.